Welcome to Voice of the Humanities. This podcast is being brought to you by the good folks at Vectus Consulting. Vectus Consulting specializes in helping the humanities grow. Check them out at their website, vectusconsulting.org. V-E-C-T-I-S, vectusconsulting.org. Today we're going to start a series of podcasts on the very bleak but necessary subject of college closings. As you know, if you've listened to this podcast, I went through it. So I am speaking with firsthand insider knowledge about what it's like to have a college close. And most importantly, I think for those of you that listen to these podcasts, what to look for and any adjustments you can make. If you're heading in that direction, you may not end up there, hopefully. But even if you're heading there, I can give you some very good advice on what you can do to position yourself to be part of the future of a college that may be in trouble. So I'm going to go through a number of podcasts here and give you some tips on what to look for and also some tips on some things you can do to help secure your position in a college that may be in trouble. All of us have that feeling every once in a while, unless you're from a very secure place, that the college may be in trouble. And especially if you work at a small liberal arts college in a humanities program, you may feel that happening every once in a while. The numbers and statistics are shocking. There seems to be a lot of data tracking going on from 2016 forward. That seems to be the benchmark year that most of these websites that I've gone to that are reputable start to track college closings in the United States. And I consolidated some of the data and put it together. And I have a count of about 125 colleges that have closed since 2016. And I threw out a lot of colleges that were in the list. I threw out just about every for-profit on the list. And I concentrated primarily on non-for-profit colleges that have closed or been absorbed, but very few were absorbed. Out of the 125, maybe six were absorbed into other institutions and the rest just plain closed. Tight budgets certainly are the obvious reason why colleges close. Shrinking pool of students, competitive pool of students are why colleges close. So there's lots of things to look for if you're worried about your college closing and budget cuts is one of them. Now, all of us generally feel that we're doing more with less every academic year, but take a step back and be a little objective about it. For instance, a few years before my college closed, the administration came with an emergency request late in the summer, excuse me, to take 10% off the top of every budget. So that was academic departments, administrative departments, maintenance, athletics, everybody had to take 10%. And when those numbers came in, they came back with another request for an additional five. So weeks before the academic year kicked off, there was a 15% cut across the board in the budget. That's what I mean by tightened budgets, not just There seems to be less copy paper. There seems to be less work-study support. That's very, very clear. 
when the entire college takes a 15% cut across the top. Shrinking pools of students certainly do it. Keep an eye on that. The high school graduation rates, and the number of high school students that may be um, being able to supply your system. You can get that data from admissions and admissions should be reporting that data to faculty at the faculty meeting. I would think second or third faculty meeting of the year, you should have that sort of data in front of you. And the increased use of adjuncts. Again, these aren't perceptual things. I think there's more adjuncts or I feel like or I've heard there's less college students. Admissions can give you those numbers. Just three, five year trend. How many students are graduating from high schools in the areas that feed your institution? And are there less or more adjuncts? How many full-time lines do you have? Academic Affairs has that number. How many full-time tenured or clinical lines did the college have in 2018, 19, 20, 21? How many adjuncts did we have? You can see if there's a replacement of full-time folks with <clears throat> adjunct faculty, that's a problem. Adjunct faculty are a very quick handhold for a desperate um, administration to try and save money because unfortunately they are exploited heavily in the American academic system. The price to bring in an adjunct to teach a couple sections of introduction to ethics and another one to teach a couple sections of intro to philosophy, for instance, that would fill a full-time load at a private institution, so four classes a semester. The cost of bringing an adjunct in, for instance, in the Midwest, <clears throat> the, the pay is about $2,500 a class, and there's no additional insurance or cost with that. So you're talking about $10,000 to fill those four classes, and you're paying a full-time person much more than that to teach those four classes along with their other duties. So track the numbers. See what you've got for full-time lines. See what you have for adjunct lines. That's not really where I'm going today. I'm going to go talk about open positions at your college. I'm going to do a series of signs and what to look for for um, you folks out there that may be concerned about your college closing. And this is one thing that became very clear in my hindsight on why the college that I worked for for 15 years closed, or it was a very, very clear indicator to me that the college was headed for this ultimate result because of the things that I saw. So there are three positions that you have to be very concerned with if you have a high turnover in that position. The president of the college, the vice president or the person who's in charge of institutional advancement and the person that's in charge of enrollment or the enrollment director. If you have high turnover in these three positions, you have some serious problems at the college. And I don't think there's any, I think there's very few, if any, exceptions to this rule. Turnover at the presidency, turnover in institutional advancement, and turnover for enrollment. My college was 174 years old and we had 17 presidents and I served under five and I was there 15 years. So there's a number for you. 
if there was constant turnover at the presidency of the college that I served at the end of its life. There was not an ability to keep a president for a long period of time. And quite frankly, the pool that you had to draw from was one of two types of candidate seeking to become the president of a college. Both are very strong parts of the candidate pool, but you're only talking about two categories of candidates for a presidency, for a college that is suffering. Now, these people that applied to become a candidate for the president of the college do their research. They're very sharp people, and they have been inside higher education for a very long time. They will look at the Higher Learning Commission. That will be their go-to, where there is an up and down, inside and out, thorough, top to bottom accounting of the college, and they will know exactly what they're getting themselves into. If the college is in serious trouble, that is going to drive away a significant part of that candidate pool, and you're going to be left with two ends. I'm not making the case that that only bad candidates come from those two ends. Quality candidates do come from those two categories. However, you are missing that middle category of candidate that is not going to put their career on a trajectory attached to a college where they see trouble through the Higher Learning Commission report. And remember, these HLC reports are not hidden. If you work at a college, you can see yours. And if you can't, that's a huge red flag. If what the college has been sending into the Higher Learning Commission is not part of public consumption for employees there, for faculty there, that's a problem. I would be very surprised if you couldn't read your own Higher Learning Commission report and get the same information that these candidates are getting when they evaluate you to become president of a particular college. What are these two categories that I just have been mentioning about the type of president that will take on a liberal arts college, a small institution, a small private, for instance, that's in trouble? They're one of two types. The first type are young, green, inexperienced presidents that want a stepping stone. You can't expect people from the first category to be with your college for a long period of time generally. If there's a tremendous turn and the fit is perfect, the person establishes roots, I can see them staying. But for the most part, they go into the job with about a five-year window. Understanding they've not done presidency often or at all, but they're young, they're energetic, they're full of ideas, and they have their ear to the ground in higher education, and they are success and goal-oriented. So you're going to draw from that candidate category. They want to come in and they want to make changes. They want to improve the school. They want the metrics to show that they've improved the school. And then they're going to move on to a mid-sized public provost, something like that, and keep climbing the ladder. They're a risk because they've not done it before and they're metric-oriented. So I'm a philosopher, as you know, doing these podcasts, and they are typically consequentialists, which means the ends will justify the means. 
So there can be tremendous upheaval, tremendous change, tremendous sacrifice to score the metric that will produce the quantifiable data that will show what they have done. The second type of candidate that is typical that will apply to lead a college that is in trouble is somebody who wants to do one last good thing. So you're at the other end of the experience spectrum. You will get candidates for presidential leadership positions at colleges that are in trouble because they want to come in and do one last good thing. They want to turn a college at the end of their career. They have tremendous advantages too because they have a ton of experience and a ton of contacts. So these people can draw upon lots of consultants. They can draw upon lots of staff members. They can bring people in quickly and they can do what they've done at other institutions, seen done at other institutions and avoid things done at other institutions that might be a common sense approach to turning a college, but actually turns out not to be. Again, you're looking at a five to seven year window with these people, right? Because they are of advanced age and they have been in the game a very long time. So they're not locking in for a 20 year ride, which is what you would like, typically a 12 year ride, but a 20 year ride is something that you're looking at with this. They're just not going to be there for 20 years. So you're going to drop into a cycle of constant leadership change at the very top of the college. You might get very good people from these candidate pools. You might get very ill-equipped people from these candidate pools. Every time presidential leadership changes at a college, the entire direction, the entire ethos, the entire culture of the college changes. And that is very hard to sustain in the long run. It's also a very expensive venture. Search firms charge a tremendous amount of money if you engage a search firm for this. It takes up a tremendous amount of faculty and staff and board time to make the selection of the president. And the resources used to bring in the president are um, significant. There's also heavy staff changes with the presidential um, change, especially if you draw from the second leadership pool. And that is the pool of the um, elder statesman that wants to make one last good thing happen in their career. He or she will bring in people they've worked with before that can get on board immediately, know their thought process, know the system, and can get going right away with it. So you're talking about changes in key positions that happen wholesale when a person comes in and has people at the ready. They're also going to hire an awful lot of consultants to come in. Consultants can be expensive, but consultants do give you an outside objective view of what's happening at the college and do give you new ground to open up and fresh areas to explore. So the number one thing on this list, this is a cardinal list, not necessarily an ordinal list, but I think the presidency if we do have to put one at the top, seems to be a real indicator that you've got problems. Second is institutional advancement. When this office is a revolving door, when you're getting a constant 
flow of people in and out of institutional advancement, that really hinders the college. Because from my experience, institutional advancement is built primarily upon relationships. So is the presidency. Those two offices are, are intimately connected, the presidency and institutional advancement, because they're building relationships with the alumni, they're building relationships inside the college with faculty and staff, athletics, they're building relationships with the external community, the big players in the community, becoming members of clubs in the community, golf, social clubs, literature clubs, art museums, serving on boards of, of directors for institutions in the community. And when those people are changing out, they don't have the opportunity to establish these solid relationships that the college needs. The college needs long-standing relationships with the big players in town. If you have a big corporation, maybe it's even a homegrown corporation that is situated close to your college, you need a long-standing relationship with those people and you have to give an awful lot because the return will be 50-50. So institutional advancement has to develop those relationships over a long period of time to have a good relationship with, let's say, a big financial player in the community. If institutional advancement is constantly changing, those relationships have to be rebuilt each time. Relationships with the alumni, if institutional advancement is changing all the time, those relationships have to be rebuilt. And alumni tend to give in a stacking fashion where it's one contribution and the next contribution may be more. The following contribution could be more than that. When those relationships break, they have to be rebuilt. So when the institutional advancement office is constantly being rotated in with new people, that's a sign of a problem. And it's a, it's a long-term problem. Those, those problems are going to show up three or four years later because those relationships take time uh, to build. And the last is the VP or the director of enrollment. Enrollment is a strategy-based uh, element of the college. And every time somebody comes in and becomes chief of enrollment again, the entire strategy for enrollment inside the college changes. You as humanity folks, you need to build very strong relationships with your enrollment people. I always found um, and requested and I always received a dedicated person to my program. Now she worked for everybody in the college, but she was my contact person over an enrollment. And I was lucky enough to have her around for about four or five years straight. So she got a very good feel for what philosophy did, who I was, where we placed our students, what the ethos, what the culture of the philosophy program was that I led. So when enrollment people change, those relationships have to be rebuilt. And the strategy for bringing in students changes every time because no VP for enrollment is going to come in, look at the current plan that the college has and say, this is great. We're just going to go with this. Immediately, there'll be questions as to why you even hired this person if they're just going to go with the plan that they have. So these people do have experience typically. They do have resources. They do have education in this area and they will make changes. 
and you're just not sure which direction those changes are going to go in each time. So this is just something to look for. If your institution is having a revolving door of presidents, a revolving door of people in institutional advancement, and a revolving door of people in enrollment, especially leadership in those three areas, that's an indication that there's some trouble. I thank you for your time today, and we want to thank Vectus Consulting. Vectus Consulting is the consulting firm that concentrates on growing the humanities. Vectus, V-E-C-T-I-S, VectusConsulting.org on the web. Thank you. Thank you.